What's going on, guys? Kyle Krabs, Locked On Dolphins, your team every day here on the Locked On Network. Today on the show, it's Power to the Pod. It's our fan mailbag. All the things that you want to talk about are all the things that we are diving into headfirst here on the eve of Week 12 of the Miami Dolphins 2022 regular season. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, Locked On Dolphins, your team every day here on the Locked On Network. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. It is time for Power to the Pod. It is Friday, November 25th. I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins listen of the day. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. So, we have about 45. <laughs> and I, I really genuinely pride myself in getting to as many questions as I possibly can. But just full disclaimer, I got 45 questions over the Bible, right? So um, I can't guarantee we'll get to them all, but we will start methodically chipping away because you guys have had your voice heard. Uh, and I want to make sure that the, your opinions make it here on the airways here on this Friday episode of Locked on Dolphins. So with that in mind, uh, we're going to go right into reviews. And the first one comes from Jason. Um. You crush on this show. Thanks for all you do. Double to a question. If you had to generalize the cause of the majority of two is underthrown deep balls. Is it mis misjudgment of Hill and Waddle speed, bad mechanics, or actually arm strength? Okay, let's let's start there. And I'm glad Tua came up because I I have um some follow-ups for Tua. Uh, and some questions that all of you have for me with, with how I approach evaluating Tua. Um, I think it's a blend of play action passing paired with arm strength paired with hill and waddle speed, right? If Tua throws on schedule, as we saw, have seen several times throughout the course of the season, and he wants to throw the 45 plus air yards down the field throws. He can hit them when he's in rhythm and he's on time and he's at the top of the drop and he hitches immediately and the ball is out. Like the ball to Jalen Waddle on third and 22 against the Bills. Phenomenal throw. On schedule. On the money. Right down the hash. But when you turn your back to the defense and you carry out these play fakes, and Miami likes to play action shot play these at times, that adds extra depth and it creates extra time in your drop that then allows the vertical speed to really accelerate and, and get further downfield. So I do think some of it is uh, raw arm power to drive throws down the field with velocity. Um, and again, that's, that's not a bad thing. It's just not a, a, if you were to put on the board, all the physical attributes of playing the quarterback position, that would be an area that I would mark to a tongue below as sufficient. At. You can do it, but you can't necessarily do it when you're off script and off schedule and then bomb it 62 yards downfield That's uh, with pace. You could get it down there. You could throw a Hail Mary down there, sure. But can you do it with pace so that the defender can't get back into position to contest the ball? That's all. Uh, 
Uh, and the second question from Jason, greedy, getting a double dip, I like it. Is Tua targeting the middle of the field so much McDaniel working around his arm strength, or is that where the offense is designed no matter the QB? I think that's where the offense is designed to go. I, I don't think – I mean, we're seeing Tua throw speed outs at, at 18 to 20 yards of depth against cover three. We're watching him throw with velocity to corner routes uh, that are breaking at 18 yards, and he's putting them on the back shoulder. I think he understands he's, – he's showing the ability now to understand – how his arm will allow him to access certain throws that is a little unique to him, like the back shoulder against Chicago on the corner route when they ran the smash concept with Gasecki and Tyreek Hill. And Tyreek Hill's running the deep corner, and he kind of gears him down. Um, generally, if, if you're on schedule, I would generally say the full field of access is, is at your disposal. Off script is where some of the questions come in. And I think that's, that's like this weird, like ideological rift that I think a lot of people who cover the game have, because you see the Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson as guys with really strong arms who have more quick twitch, more explosiveness as far as, their power in their ability to throw the ball. And they think like, that's like the only way that you can do it. But Tom Brady didn't do any of this. And I'm not comparing Tua to Tom Brady, but Tom Brady won and Drew Brees won. And lots of these other pocket passing type of quarterbacks won because they understood defensive structure. They got the offense into the right play and they made quick decisions and they didn't take negative plays. I don't understand why Tua Tungvaloa can't fit in that bucket. Why? Because it's not all the rage right now because everybody wants to see a sidearm and 45-yard howitzers up the far hash? The growth that Tua has shown, I think, is very significant in a lot of phases of his game. None more importantly than understanding what he's looking at before the snap because he understands where his eyes are supposed to be. He understands what he's looking at. And that is allowing him to play with the confidence and the quick decision-making and the ball security that he's illustrated over the past uh, month, but generally the entire season. I, I thought, you know, even in the early portion of the season against New England, uh, New England, there were a couple of plays in the grasp. Uh, Buffalo, I thought, was a clean game. Baltimore, the two interceptions um, were just, I think, pressing more than making not understanding what you were seeing, trying to make something bigger happen than you needed to for those two interceptions against Baltimore. Uh, and then Cincinnati was trying to make a play in the grasp and not make it a read. But generally, I don't think the, the speed element of the Dolphins horizontally and vertically is what allows the middle of the field to be so open. So I think that's why you see so much of the volume that um that goes into that mike from denmark really love your objective objectivity although if i'm being honest you may be a little tough on our quarterback he is starting to prove that he can make the dolphins win instead of just being someone the dolphins can win with and i've got a lot of questions like i did a 35 minute youtube video breaking down all 22 of two from the past month and somebody on there left a comment in the midst of what was a lot of really great feedback. That was, oh, Mr. Incomplete Evaluation, we're checking receipts, you're not allowed on the train, 
you're late to the party. Is it really a bad thing to just kind of be methodical and not emotionally riding the roller coaster with this? If you watched a 35-minute video in which I heaped praise on Tua, but your response is, oh, well, you didn't buy all the way in sooner. I'm in. I'm in, guys. Like, if you ask me now about the contract extension, we're probably talking about it. I remember that in the summertime. Well, if Tua does this or if Tua puts up these numbers, what kind of contract do we And it's like, Let's just take it easy. You know, let's not let's not do anything that we have to too soon. And I try to be, you know, you mentioned, Mike, you mentioned objectivity. And this isn't anything specifically at you, but it's just fascinating to me that being even keeled about him is seen by some people as a bad thing. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Now, does that mean I'm going to have the first time-stamped receipt of a slam-dunk opinion? Probably not. But go back and read my draft profile when I had him as the second quarterback in the draft. I had him in the same tier as Justin Herbert. And it was laid out very clearly there that there was a very different skill set than those other quarterbacks in that class that you could win with. Had him ranked as a top 10 player. And that was not not adjusted for positional value. So... No, Mike, I'm glad you brought it up. I know there's a bunch of Tua questions in general. If you haven't seen the Draft Network, go to go uh, search Tua Tungvaloa Film Study uh, Draft Network on YouTube. And it's 35 minutes long. Um, it's very complimentary, but it's because that's earned, right? And it has been earned at this point. I don't think there's any question. The performance has been to a standard that the Dolphins can win football games because of their quarterback. Now, there will be certain matchups between now and the end of the regular season that I have circled that I think could really accelerate my methodical change of opinion. I don't want to come in on you, on you guys and be at this spot on Monday, and then by Thursday of the same week, I'm in a drastically different opinion, right? I got to have congruency with the evolution of opinions that I have. So I'm just trying to work my way through it steadily and let it come without overreacting, without being emotional, which, you know, I probably am a little reserved in in the fact that I am a diehard Dolphins fan. I love this football team. I'm stoked about this football team. So me understanding that part about myself, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make sure that I am not riding the roller coaster and getting too high or too low at any given point in time. So I hope that makes sense because um, I've gotten a number of questions like, why do you still dislike to like – You only put him as like the seventh best quarterback, which was not just based off his play this season. When we did the roster reassessment, he was ranked as the seventh best quarterback in the NFL looking at performance this season, but also physical attributes, physical strengths and weaknesses, long-term projection versus short-term projection. And he could still work his way up. There's no question. Like it, if we get to the end of the season and Lamar Jackson doesn't change the way that he plays and Lamar was one of the six guys that was in front of him, I'd put him above Lamar. There's a chicken versus the egg debate with Lamar Jackson and his passing productivity and why it's been non-existent. And I don't know that we're going to be able to isolate that variable, but at the very least, we've isolated the variable for what the first two years of Tua looked like. Brian Flores. Dolphin system, lack of trust in your quarterback. 
It's very apparent. It's great. Confidence is a great thing for a quarterback. It's the number one thing for a quarterback. Tua has it right now. And I can't wait to see what the rest of the season looks like. So anyway, Mike, I say all that. I'm going to get to your question uh, as well, which was actually on the defensive side of the ball in just a minute, but, but not before I tell everybody about our friends over at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy done right. You go pick two to five players, and if they go more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 10x your money on your entry. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available in-house. They offer projections on any sport that you watch. Entries can be, be made in 60 seconds or less. And with safe and fast withdrawals, it's currently operational in over 30 states in Canada. So download the prize picks app. Or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. You put in $100, they're going to give you another $100. You put in $50, they're going to give you another $50. Don't forget to enter promo code locked on and sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. So, Mike, your question. Listening to your thoughts on the Browns game, were you predicting did the Predicting them to be more aggressive was something that resonated with me. They have been quite passive on defense, and it isn't really working. I might advocate for them to be more aggressive so that they can make some plays, mainly sacks and takeaways, even if they give some up. If they can force turnovers and get the offense a few extra possessions, they will be impossible to hold under 30 points. What do you think about changing the philosophy? I think you can get more aggressive but i think part of this is going to come from the added trust that you have in guys like cater kohu and justin Beth. and you have seen this team play more man on money downs on third downs um they have reverted back to man coverage and they say we're, we're gonna plaster you and and more often than not it works now there's certain quarterbacks that are going to get up under center and they're going to look at the numbers of the guys covering their guys. And they're going to say, that's the matchup that I'm going to want. The read might dictate, I got to start over here, but they're in man. I understand that that's the matchup I'm going to take based on the leverage and based on the personnel. And those guys are going to have to be up to the test. But I do think from a pocket passing perspective, you know, since the second half of the Detroit game, Miami's done well. Uh, and they, they've done well in coverage. Hawkinson beat you with some weird play up the corner against Detroit for a big catch and run. Um, Chicago beat you up the field on, on or um, no, Detroit beat you up the field on another play where we busted cover three and we, we drove on an in-breaking route and, and left the, the third of the field open down the field. So I, I think it's I think Mike honestly it's more in my mind them growing to trust the skill sets that they have that they feel like they can do it that they can play they can play the man coverage and that will allow them to continue to be more aggressive. Now I don't know based on the injuries on the back end that you're going to see a lot of Javon Holland and and Eric Rowe walked up on the end of the line of scrimmage, which was their recipe for a lot of quick pressure in the early three weeks of the season or so. Um, I don't know that we'll see that version of this Dolphins defense until they get some reinforcements, either via Byron Jones or next season. Uh, Gavin. Kyle, love the podcast. Listen daily. Very knowledgeable. Thank you so much. The other week, I remember someone left a review saying, even though they were a little older than you, they still enjoyed the pod. And you talk about this pod is 
great for people your age and even those older. I'm definitely one of your long, younger listeners. I'm 15. I wanted to let you know you do an amazing job for those younger than you and do a good job of explaining some of the more complicated terms. Thank you so much. It's cool to hear from everybody of every walk of life with every um, bit of life experiences that, that listens in on the show and, and us all bonding over this team that we do love, which is the Miami Dolphins. Um, my question, being Gavin, back to Gavin, uh, is about Jason Sanders. He's been awful this year. Let's be honest. He can't hit from deep and has recently started to miss short. Um, wondering if there's any other names that we should be be looking at. And based on kind of the, the conversation that um, Jason Sanders has had, you know, talking about a, a technical issue with his kicking and Mike McDaniel's backing, I think they're going to hold firm here. And the hope is if it does cost you, it costs you in a game between now and the beginning of January and not after. Because if you get into the postseason, like if you, I would just like to have some sense of clarity on how stable Jason Sanders is by the time you hit the postseason. Well, because Miami's getting ready to play Houston, looking at win potentially number eight. The Patriots just lost last night on Thursday Night Football, which is an absolute shame. You absolutely positively hate to see it. So they're six and five. Uh, the Jets just make a, made a quarterback change. They're playing Chicago. I think if Justin Fields wins, I think Chicago beats the Jets because Fields will do enough outside of structure in the same way that he hurt the Dolphins outside of structure that um, I think the Jets could suddenly be waking up on Monday morning and they're six and five. And then, oh, by the way, you got to go play the Bills and the Vikings the next two weeks. <laughs> um, so, so we're trending in the right direction for that. But if you do need to make a change, I'd love to know before the end of the year. So that, that way, when you start playing four keeps in January, you have the clarity that you need. Uh, this is from KC. Seven and three, and Tua and the Finns are on fire. Still hearing Tua hate. I don't get it. I know long-term we should have questions if he can stay on the field, but he clearly is the best quarterback on our roster. It's not even close. Please let me know if I'm wrong. No, you're not. I don't, I don't know how anybody watches the stretch of games in which the Dolphins played without Tua versus the stretch of games that the Dolphins played both before and after the injury with Tua and can say that with a straight face. You, you just can't. And if you can't, it's because you aren't actually processing what's happening on the field. You're just looking at the way that it looks and you think it doesn't look the way it should. And therefore, it's bad. Which is a very closed-minded scope to watch the game. I, I I hope you don't you guys don't do that. I mean, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. But this one's pretty cut and dry, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Riverside with a question. Uh, first pass podcast I listened to while driving to work. Coming into the bye, what grade would you give the coaching staff? I know there were a lot of questions coming in, but I'm curious how you think they've performed to this point in the season. Hey, that's um, it's a good question. I would say for Mike McDaniel, some of the game management stuff has been, I think, the, probably the biggest area of growth moving forward, and that's to be expected with a rookie, a rookie coach. Some of the clock management stuff, although we saw that that was better against Cleveland at the end of the half. 
going for it, not going for it in certain situations, but not other situations. Kind of, a, it's kind of feels like it's a gut feel kind of thing. And oh, you you got to be willing to ride or die, right? And, and I think Coach McDaniel has shown that. Uh, I think this offensive staff has done a phenomenal job. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that you're hearing Frank Smith's name and Daryl Bevel's name floated out there as, as coaching candidate, head coaching candidates. I would be very surprised if either of those guys, after one year, uh, got a head coaching gig. Now, I will say Daryl Bevel is a name to watch because an upgrade for him is also an offensive coordinator. And he's the interim head coach in Jacksonville last year, and now he's the quarterback's coach this year. He's had a lot of success. Tua has undoubtedly shown exponential amount of growth. That would be my worry, is that Daryl Bevel, as the quarterback's coach, gets plucked. But look, that's, that's life in the NFL. You have success. Everybody's immediately going to look to you, and they're going to say, what variables do they have that we can take to have some of that success for ourselves? It's inevitable. Attrition is inevitable in the NFL from a coaching staff perspective when you have success. But I think what is important about that is that's what makes Mike McDaniel's background so important, right? Because if Daryl Bevel takes a, a promotion to go be an OC somewhere else, we'll be very happy for Daryl Bevel. We'll be thankful for his contributions and helping to it. But Mike McDaniel is the rock, right? It's no different than the Dolphins hiring Joe Philbin. And I'm not saying Daryl Bevel's Joe Philbin, but I'm saying Aaron Rodgers made the Packers offense the Packers offense. Just like the talent on the field and Mike McDaniel's influence make the Dolphins offense the Dolphins offense. Daryl Bevel has had very strong contributions, and he is a linchpin of this coaching staff and being a conduit from the staff to Tua. But he's not the reason the Dolphins offense is the Dolphins offense. Now, if somebody wants to hire him to bring and transplant that entire thing to their team, that's a heavy ask. And we've seen time and time and time again with coaches like Adam Gase and Joe Philbin, that that's not how you get to that point. So I hope anybody who hires Daryl Bevel hires, hires him for the right reasons. And it's because he's a great coach. Not because, oh, bring the Dolphins offense with you. We want to run it. Okay, good luck. That's not how it works. Stevie, ecstatic about the way the two is playing. Seems to be two a mailbag here. Uh, he seems he's elevated his game to the next level. Great to see some of these national pundits eat their words. Uh, okay, a little const constructive criticism here. I, I never know where these ones are going to go. I don't want to be too nitpicky. But I feel like in order to enter the next stratosphere, he needs to clean up some of the underthrown deeper passes. There have been a few misses or underthrows that likely took away points in the Lions, Bears, and Browns game. Just as you are not a math guy, I'm not a film guy. Is his issue mechanical? Seems like to throw off his back foot at times. He seems to throw off his back foot at times. Can this be corrected? I can't stand the narrative that he has no arm strength. Also imagine throwing deep to Tyreek is different in terms of anyone else as far as timing. Yes. Yes, that, that, that I, I think they have to find the right balance of what kind of play fakes you want to run in order to, and if my memory serves me correctly, the ball that he threw against Detroit that was an incomplete pass but was an absolute dime. If my memory serves me correctly, or is that against Chicago? Hmm, I hate when my recall's not there. One of those two games, 
He threw a deep post to Tyreek, and it was on the money, and he dropped it over the top of, of one defender, and it kind of went through Tyreek's elbows. Uh, there was a, I think it was an offensive flag on the play uh, for like a, a legal formation or a legal shift or something like that. I believe that was a horizontal play fake. So that's like Raheem Mostert. We're going to run influence wide zone where I stick the ball out in front of me and I ride it through as compared to being under center and turning my back to the defense and extending the ball out and then resetting to throw. Those are the kinds of things you like. You just got to ask what ball fakes and, and run action is going to be complementary to the timing that we want to throw the ball down the field. And I think they're still probably working through that. And as they get better answers to that, I think you'll see the, the on-time throws more and more. Now, the throw against Chicago at the end of the game with Waddle, uh, he, he clearly felt and identified that there was a pressure situation. Um, and he knew he had one-on-one. They were picking on 33 the whole game. But he kind of faded away. And I, I will acknowledge he did fade away on that throw. But if him, if him missing some of those throws by a couple yards short because he's protecting himself inside the pocket is a cost to him staying healthy for a full season, miss the throw, right? <laughs> right? Like, I'd rather you miss the throw and be available for 16 games because you're, or 17 games because you're not exposing yourself to unnecessary hits than being blissful blissfully ignorant to that being around you, even though you know you're in a pressure situation and getting absolutely lit up so that you can get a little bit more of your body into the throw to complete that pass. I think that's a, a tightrope we got to walk as far as protecting ourselves in the pocket to win from the pocket because we are deadly accurate in the pocket. Steven, love listening to your non-biased Dolphins opinions. Just finished watching your Tua film breakdown for the Draft Network. Fantastic stuff. Recommend everyone listening watch it. Offense has been clicking, but I'm worried there are a lot of worry. I think there are a lot of worried DCs out there. Um, what teams do you believe had the best personnel to execute stopping the Dolphins' offense? Okay, so this kind of falls in line with what we touched on on uh, Monday. I think that San Francisco and Buffalo with the skill of the linebacker rooms and the skill of the safeties behind them have the range and athleticism and instincts to really test the Dolphins' ability. Now, I know we all also watched Buffalo almost lose to Detroit on Thanksgiving, and I think the common theme there was Detroit got them off balance. The Bills offense right now is not clicking, whether that's Josh Allen related or run game related or not having enough weapons, like whatever it is. That's not my problem to figure out. Thank goodness. But Detroit offensively, they were able to keep Buffalo off balance by running the ball. And that is a layer to the Dolphins offense that we did not have the first time around that I'm very excited to see the second time. I'm very excited to see how the Dolphins are able to push the ball up on the ground and attack in the run game and, and put more levels of conflict onto those second level defenders. Uh, Winmore with a question about the 72 team. 
With the Eagles' unbeaten streak coming to an end, it got me thinking, and I'd like to propose a hypothetical to get your take on. Suppose next season the Dolphins are the last unbeaten team. If they finally lost the game, do you think the 72 team would still pop champagne and celebrate remaining as the only perfect team? On the flip side, if the Dolphins were to recreate the perfection of the 72 team all the way to a Super Bowl win, do you think the 72 team would celebrate or be upset about a modern Dolphins team? I can, I can promise you, if there was ever a team to actually do it, the 72 team would be thrilled that a modern team would live up to the standard of Coach Shula and themselves. I promise you that that would be the best case outcome for those guys. Uh, as far as if they pop champagne, probably, right? Still an exclusive club. I'd, I'd imagine there would be um, still more pride taken in being the only guys to successfully do it, even if the Dolphins uh, were the last team to come up short. If you've thought about securing your home with home security, but have been putting it off, please listen up. Right now, Locked On Dolphins listeners can save, can order the number one rated Simply Safe Home Security system and save 50% off. This is their biggest offer of the year. You will not want to miss it. In an emergency, 24-7 professional monitoring agents use Fast Protect technology exclusively from Simply Safe to capture critical evidence and verify the threat is real so you can get the priority police response that you need. 24-7 professional monitoring service costs less than $1 a day, less than half the price of ADT's traditional professionally installed system. And with the top-rated Simply Safe app, you can stay in complete control of your system at any time, anywhere, arm, disarm, unlock for a guest, access your cameras, or adjust system settings. Do not miss your chance to save big on the only security system that I would recommend. Get 50% off any new system at simplysafe.com slash NFL today. This is their biggest discount of the year, so do not wait. That is simplysafe.com slash NFL because there is no safe like Simply Safe. Slack. With our next question. Daily listener from Utah. Love your football knowledge. Uh, with Agba out for the year and Ben Stilley signed to the Browns, just curious what your opinion would be on signing Cameron Good to the active roster and see what he can do. I know he's an outside linebacker in college and he's about 35 pounds lighter than Agba, but similar height and body. Do you think it's an experiment worth trying or is there a better option of free agency? So the Dolphins answered this one when they went out and they got Justin Zimmer off the Bills practice squad. And Good... So Cameron Good with his frame and his mass, I, I think he's a little bit more of a long-term developmental guy for them where they're going to want to add some weight to his frame, but he may end up not falling in the Agba bucket. I do put Agba in a different bucket than Phillips and Chubb. Uh, I think those guys, a little bit more explosive, quick twitch. We see Agba reduced inside shade on offensive tackles at times. Um so he's almost kind of this pseudo interior defensive lineman, uh, even though he is a defensive end. He's, he's never going to play in the A gaps, uh, but he can play in the B gaps. Uh, Zimmer is kind of that 300 plus pound true interior defensive lineman. And he was very athletic coming out of Ferris state. It's the same place that Zach Sealer came from. And um, he's kind of bounced around the league a little bit, but he's, a really good athlete for his size and stature. Now, he's probably going to ride the practice squad unless you have an injury to a guy like John Jenkins or one of the guys further up the death chart, which you heard it here. I just knocked on wood, so we're hoping that doesn't happen. Um, 
but I think they this this shows to me that they feel that they have the presence on the edge that they need, and they need more big bodies to play on the inside and try to help them stop the run if they get uh, pushed further down the depth chart with, with attrition or anything like that. Lawn order NRV. I'm going to make sure I get it right this time because apparently I keep calling it law in order NRV, uh, which is for a landscape company in New River Valley in Southwest Virginia. Um, so I got it right this time, a little bit of free advertising for any Dolphins fans in Southwest Virginia. On a serious note, based off the inconsistency of our defense and special teams, I get confused week to week where we need to use our resources to make this team better next year. If the team ended today, if the season ended today, how are you using the draft and free agency salary cap space to make this team better? Love the podcast. Oh, man. So I think you need, you, you need more in the corner room, right? Like Cater Kohu's going to be a guy for the next several years. He's, he's the real deal. He's absolutely the real deal. But I'm looking at Byron Jones, age and health. I'm looking at Xavier Howard, age, with a history previously in past years, not the last couple of years, but he has had some knee issues. And how you age as a corner with a history of knee issues, I'm, I'm going to need a lot more. There, I th I think the secondary. I think you're really set in the front. You can retain your talent up front. I think linebacker, a different kind of linebacker, is probably a luxury pick, especially with Channing Tindall kind of waiting in the wings. I think I I'm bringing back Duke. I'm probably being, bringing back E. Landon. Um, but you you need to definitively retain or replace Eric Rowe. I think you need a third safety that you feel good about playing a lot of snaps. And you need a lot of youth in the, in the secondary that's talented. So how you get there is really up to you. I think offensively, we would be remiss to be complacent on the offensive line. I would probably go out and get a couple guys. Now, maybe not premier acquisitions, but keep churning that group. You still have a, an unanswered question at left guard, and you still have an unanswered question at right tackle, whether we like it or not. And Brandon Shell's not under contract next year. I think tight end is an essential. I think tight end and corner are essentials. I think offensive line is a must-have, but not like top shelf. Your offseason's a failure if you don't get X, Y, or Z. And I would include safety on the other side of the ball as, as that as well. Uh, and then running back, that's probably going to be an economically friendly path, whatever way they choose. I would hope we bring some of the guys back that are under contract right now. Um, I would imagine they'll be interested in running it back based off the successes of this season to this point, if it carries itself all the way through. So that's kind of the top of mind as far as how you strategize and break that all out. That's about three months worth of content. <laughs> so. We'll, uh, we'll cross that bridge here in just a little bit. Uh, Thrilla, Thrilla, with our next question. Oh, it's about running backs, re-signing running backs. This, I love it when a good plan comes together. Kyle, long-time listener of the show. It's been a while since you had your podcast after the Buffalo game in week two of 2020. Yeah, you're right. 
you've apologized for reaction in that podcast, but that energy and disdain you had was real. That was how I felt and it resonated with me. Well, thank you. I'm glad I wasn't alone there. The infamous Buffalo Week 2 podcast. Like lost a bunch of listeners for that. My question for you, should we re-sign Jeff Wilson ASAP before it balloons because of how good he's playing? Uh, he's certainly playing well. Let me let me pull this up real quick. I just want to make sure I'm speaking informed here. So Jeff Wilson is a 27, just turned 27, 27-year-old running back on a one-year deal uh, that was worth just under or just over a million dollars. So the Dolphins have him under contract for the rest of the season for 575K. His career earnings, his big payday was in 2021 with the 49ers. He got $2 million that year. So across one, two, three, four, five years in the NFL, he's earned less than $4.5 million in cash. I suppose the question with Jeff Wilson is durability, right? Because he's been a guy who has not necessarily stayed healthy to be a primary back for somebody. He's been at his best as part of a platoon. And if you're at your best as part of a platoon, there's nothing wrong with that. But that will inherently, teams aren't going to want to spend top dollars. Interestingly enough, Spot Track right now has him listed as a forecasted value. Uh, based on similar contracts of other players and contracts that they signed with similar production and age um, of about $3 million uh, to re-sign him. I think if you told me right now we could get Jeff Wilson for $3 million, I'd gladly take it. I would. So I don't think the urgency is there per se, because I don't think any team is going to come knocking on the door with a five-year, $60 million contract. And because of that, I, I think you have the inside edge. You can negotiate all throughout the course of the offseason. And let's, let's let him stay healthy and prove it and prove that this, this is not a mirage and this is who he is and this is why he deserves to have a long-term deal with the Dolphins. Kyle is a diehard Dolphins fan in our early 30s. I found your podcast interesting because you lived a similar life to me. Both of us grew up outside of the state of Florida without access to Sunday ticket. Yeah. Do you mind doing a little trip down memory lane and share with us your early memories of being a fan and the highs and lows you've experienced thus far? For me personally, the NFL primetime highlights and sitting on the computer with GameCast for a Sunday ritual. Yes. Nothing quite as exciting as knowing the Finns had a primetime game. Yeah, because you knew. Prime time, you got excited because you didn't have to wait for uh, the broadcast map to get posted somewhere for you to realize whether or not you were going to be able to watch the Dolphins play. Um, yeah, I remember sitting in my dad's office on the computer with GameCast up for the playoff win against the Colts that Lamar Smith ran for all those yards. And that was like the coolest thing uh, for me. And that was, I guess, two, I was 10 or 11 years old. Um, I remember the uh, Monday night debacle against the Jets going to bed at halftime. So excited that I could wear all my Dolphin stuff in the morning and then waking up in the morning and finding out for my dad that they lost after I went to bed as a kid. Uh, that was a big gut punch. Um, 
the high the high for me as an out of market fan was when they I believe they flexed it, but they put Jets Dolphins week 17 for the AFC East title in 2008. And I was 19 at the time. Um, and that was the pinnacle. And then, of course, they they played, I believe it was Baltimore the following week in the wild card round. And I watched that over at a friend's house and they got crushed. Um, I'm 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 excited for the memories that are are going to come this year to, that will hopefully surpass those. I'll just say that. You know, it's it is it's a little different now than what it was as a kid growing up because the market has expanded and you get a lot more opportunities to watch team and if you're out of the market. But uh <laughs> yeah, those game cast Sundays for 3 hours were were taxing. You had a lot of snacks and soda and just sitting down in front of the TV and or computer and holding on for dear life. We have a lot more questions. We might have to do a bonus episode here and get caught up. Uh, but I'm going to finish up with two more. I know we've run over a little bit. Uh, the first one's from David. How do you think Nick Needham's injury will affect his value in free agency for the offseason? I know the general thought before was that he would cost too much to bring back. Do you know what do you th- think that will still be the case? Or could Miami maybe now afford to bring him back? Either way, hoping, for, hoping and praying for a speedy recovery. So he had an Achilles, and it was the first half of the season. Man. At corner, I think this could th- this could put him back in a one-year prove-a-deal with somebody, unfortunately, for Nick. I could see a team saying, we're going to give you a reduced one-year contract to come in, get in the system, show that you're healthy, and then we'll we'll have a do-over for your big contract as a corner uh, the following offseason. Is that whether that's in Miami or somewhere else, I'm not sure. Uh, but I'd be surprised if he's ready for the start of the season, if we're being honest. Um, which kind of puts into question like what his recovery window is going to dictate that as far as if if he's somebody that that we should be looking to bring back. Because there, I think there are teams that oh it would make sense for signing a player like that. And I don't know if the Dolphins, based on the numbers game and how competitive the roster is going to be next year, um, despite the fact that I I have all the respect in the world for what Nick has done to evolve his game and become a a quality NFL corner, I just don't know that for Miami, the numbers and the availability and all that are going to line up. Ben has our next one. Kyle, I've always been someone who complains the Dolphins don't get enough love or media coverage or constantly hated without reason. That being said, my Instagram has been flooded with positive Dolphins posts, stats by big name accounts, and even on TV from guys like Stephen A. Barf. His his words, not mine, uh, is saying a lot of good things about us. Now that we have our due respect, it feels so weird and wrong. Maybe the grass was just always greener on the other side, or I've become accustomed to media hate. Either way, I'm wondering how you're feeling about the positivity surrounding our team in the media, or whether you prefer being the most hated underdog status or having the fins in the spotlight. Um, I, I like having high expectations. I like seeing this team rise to high expectations. 
Now, I still think there's a long ways to go for the Dolphins get their due respect uh, for being a team that's amongst the winningest programs in the AFC over the last three seasons combined at this point. Ten and six, nine and eight, and seven and three and counting uh, with December left to go. And then, of course, the game on Sunday, which I will be at. I know I've had several people ask me. I am flying in Sunday morning, attending the game, and I'm last flight out to come back home on Sunday night. So it'll be a very quick trip for me, but I will be at the stadium on Sunday for the game. So keep raising the expectations. It's only a good thing. It only means that you're performing and you're winning, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but it, it is odd. I would agree. Uh, we're so accustomed to, oh, same old Dolphins, this, that, the other thing, so on and so forth. Uh, we have a very nice review from Los. Wanted to bless you with a great review, the way you bless me with my first Dolphins listen every day. Thank you for all that you do. Appreciate the grind. Fins up. Thank you. Uh, our last one of the day comes from CTEP. And it is as follows. Locked on Dolphins is the perfect blend of fandom and objective analysis, which is, ironically enough, exactly what I'm going for. Thank you. Uh, but seriously, thank you. Listen all year to ride the highs and lows of the team while learning from Kyle's nuanced observations. Watching so many offenses struggle this week, being last week, makes me appreciate what we have this year even more. Kyle, my question is this. Who is a player on another team, offense or defense, that you think is being underutilized or used incorrectly and could be a potential free agent pickup for the Dolphins next offseason? Also, my suggestion for collecting questions would be an app like Slido, Slido, or even Reddit. Hmm, interesting. Something where you can create a thread each week and other fans can upvote, downvote based on what they want to hear. Thanks and fins up, Christian. Okay. I'll look into those. And I'm familiar with Reddit. I'm very familiar with the Dolphins uh, subreddit. A good group of people over there for the most part. A couple of people don't like me too much. That's okay. Uh, so I need to look up upcoming free agents in the NFL. And what I'm going to be looking for is I'm going to be looking for um, players who are probably on rookie deals. Because I, I don't think you're going to find a lot of players that have already received like a big contract who are going to fall into that bucket of like slam dunk opportunities for the Dolphins to go out of their way to, to, to nail down. So I want to look at market value players, players who are probably below $5 million. Okay, so just reading some names like Puna Ford, I think it'd be a really fun ad to kind of be the other interior A-gap defender. from He's from Seattle. Uh, Robert Tunyon at tight end is a name that pops to me a little bit. I'm just scrolling. Um, we've got a couple corners. Rocky Asin with the Raiders, young player. J. 
James Robinson's probably too much of a power style runner for making sense for the Dolphins. Tony Pollard would be a great addition at running back, but he's going to cost a lot of money. He's probably outside your strike zone, if we're being honest. Um, would love to find a tight end on this list. Tell you what, maybe I'll maybe I'll search by position. Maybe I'll look for a tight end. I think there's a lot of opportunities to add quality tight ends to this roster. Guy like Drew Sample with Cincinnati, maybe. Good to add Jacob Hollister with the Raiders. I appreciate what he's been able to do going back to when he was playing um, at LSU. I'm looking for a bigger name. Chris Manhurts with the the uh, Jaguars. It's a good blocker. Just give me a good blocking tight end. Dalton Schultz is a name that I would call out too, but you know he's on the franchise tag just like Mike is this year and. Schultz put up big numbers yesterday against uh, the Giants, two touchdowns. But um, I think he's probably going to cost himself out. Oh, just do, based on the ascension of the tight end market, and he's a quality starter, and everybody knows it. He's probably going to be eight plus million. I think that that'll probably be out of your strike zone. But I think a guy like maybe Robert Tunyon, uh, who had a big boom a couple of years ago, caught a bunch of touchdowns for Rodgers. Um is a name that I would kind of soft circle and and be interested in in seeing what his market and interest would be. Uh, and then Chris Manhurts and Dan Arnold, uh, two Jacksonville Jaguars guys who are not involved in the passing game coming into this week. They've caught a combined 12 passes for like 130 yards. Um, but they are both guys that, that kick butt up front. So I'd go that route. We went long today. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed. But uh, we're going to keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins, your team every day. Enjoy the weekend. We've got week 12, Dolphins-Texans this Sunday. Looking forward to catching up. Because of my travel accommodations, uh, the Monday podcast will be up a little later than normal. So just please don't be alarmed if it doesn't come out in the next in 90 minutes after the game. Uh, I am kind of going to be all over the map. Literally speaking, uh, we're going from Delaware to Maryland, uh, Florida, the back to Maryland, the back to Delaware in about 22 hours. So it's going to be a long day, but it's going to be worth it. Come down and see all of you guys. So fans up, keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. Thanks for listening. Have a great one.